0: Well, today we are going to be in the 15th chapter of Matthew and we're going to be uh, talking about hearts today, which I think is appropriate because as we have been, I don't know about you, but I've been addicted to Twitter this week and I like got off Twitter for a long time, but it's really good for uh, misinformation nowadays and not knowing what's going on and thinking you're really up to date on, you know, troop movements or whatever. Um, And yet today I've been praying for... uh, I've been praying for a lot of things this week. I've been talking to some people for whom uh, they, like, experienced the Cold War firsthand because that was going away while I was growing up. And there's a part of me that, that thinks it's a little weird because we're kind of back to the geopolitical world of my parents' childhood and when my parents were my age now. And that's an odd it's an odd thing to see the world go backwards. And I think we've actually heard a lie in the world that you know history always moves in an easy and better direction. And that's just not true. Actually, when you read Revelation, you read the history of the world, there are all sorts of bad things that can happen on a regular basis. And Jesus lived in a world where while they had the Roman Empire was big, there was always the fear of destruction, always the fear of displacement, always the fear of what's happening right now in Ukraine. And so uh, to this week, I've been pondering and praying about this passage, and I've realized this passage about our hearts and about who God is and what God was doing in our world is, uh, is right. Because these are the last moments uh, before Jesus sets his face towards the cross. The last moments before Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and, uh, and it undergoes, uh, well, tragic and cruel death. Suffering death, and then of course triumph and resurrection in the end of times. But before it, there was three years of ministry. Three years of ministry where he, um, uh, where he was teaching. And what's funny is, in many of those years of ministry, he tried to keep it a secret who he was. But it became more and more difficult. There were crowds that kept showing up because they'd heard someone who'd been healed. They'd seen that God had power, this Jesus had power, and they went, well, I want some of that. So every time he went somewhere, he was followed. In fact, the image you see behind me uh, is an image of Tyre and Sidon. That's where the second half of the 15th uh, chapter of Matthew takes place, where Jesus even leaves Israel and is inundated by crowds. He goes to really the beautiful place in the Mediterranean and he is covered by clouds, by crowds, because even the non-Jews, this is modern day Lebanon, uh, it's stunning that really it's a place from I'm like, man, if I were God, I'd hang out there too. It's beautiful, but even there people inundate him. And regularly, it's one of the themes of scripture that Jesus tries to kind of escape the crowds to go and pray, escape the crowds to gain a moment of clarity in the midst of all the chaos. But the more that Jesus uh, taught, the more they realized there's something different about this guy, the more that he healed. Even though in the gospels, every time he was in a Jewish town and he healed someone, he said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone the power that I have. Don't tell anyone any of that. Because you have no idea what's about to come. And so uh, in this passage in Matthew 15, we realize that Jesus is creating a confrontation for himself by simply being who he is, by proclaiming truth, living it out, and boldly calling out some pretty powerful people. So the 15th chapter, I'm not going to read the opening part, I'm just going to tell you what happens. Jesus is teaching, and Pharisees come, and they say, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Uh, I have some questions here about why your people aren't actually following the the restrictions that we've laid upon people for ritual purification. Literally, they go, "Why why don't your disciples wash their hands? Now, before you get there, this is not a bacterial cleansing scenario. This wasn't on their list of things that they were worried about. This is not a Purell conversation. This is a ritualistic, do you kind of uh, demonstrate your cleanliness before you eat? Not cleanliness in, I'm literally, I'm doing all the things to wash my hands uh, of bacteria, but am I doing all the rituals that the Jewish leaders had placed on them to appear clean to an outside people? There's a huge difference that we're going to find here in the difference between the outside cleanliness or appearance and the inside of their hearts. And so the Pharisees called Jesus' disciples out for not following all of their minute descriptions about how they're supposed to maintain outward purity. And Jesus goes unleashed. For the record, if you think Jesus was just nice and cuddly, you should read the Gospels. There were numerous times, now he offered grace, don't get me wrong. There was like insane grace, but often preachers don't like talking about kind of some of the harder moments of Jesus. Uh, They're like, well, Jesus showed grace to this person, but to the Pharisees, he was actually pretty brutal. In fact, this is one of those places where they say, why aren't you following the ritualistic kind of minutia that we've created? And Jesus responds and says, yeah, they don't do that. My disciples, that's not them. You know what you don't do? You don't care about your heart. You have ignored the commandments to honor your father and mother. You've ignored the commandments about loving your neighbor. Sure, my people haven't done the kind of technical things, but you've ignored what actually matters, you hypocrites. He m- drops the mic. Actually, before he does that, he quotes Isaiah. I'm going to quote isaiah but i want you before i do so i want to tell you every time that jesus quotes the old testament uh you ought to understand that jesus invokes more than just the words that are written there so here's an example not that i'm using them not for today but i'll preach it also later but an example is when jesus is on the cross he cries out these words in aramaic eloi eloi lama sabachthani and in all the all your bibles it translates and they say which is translated to and then they give the translation in greek which translates to my god my god why have you forsaken me have you ever heard that phrase and wondered how could jesus be forsaken by god one of the answers to that there are more than one answer but one of the answers to that is he's quoting psalm 22 which begins eloi eloi lama sabachthani my god my god why have you forsaken me which then continues to describe a scenario of execution and I mean literally it talks about how the bulls of Bashan encircle him and they count his bones and they pierce his side. Like you can't read Psalm 22 and the gospels when he quotes Psalm 22 and go oh Jesus meant you to understand the whole thing. So Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and he quotes Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 29 is both brutal in his takedown of the Pharisees, but if you continue, has a really cool piece about the nature of God. I'm going to tell you what he quotes, and then I'm going to read further. He quotes Isaiah saying, the Lord said, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. That's where he ends his quotation right there to the the Pharisees. Uh, He ends it there, which is a pretty big mic drop of like, yeah, the Old Testament prophets blamed you, Pharisees. That's what just happened. But he continues, and it's even more profound. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down. And this is what I love. All right, we're going to move this here for visual. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to me, say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? All right, I want you to, I want you to get a sense of exactly how cool this moment is. He quotes Isaiah 29, and almost always, I believe that Jesus is quoting that whole significant portion what he does is say to the Pharisees, you don't get it. You don't understand what's happening. You are abiding human rules, not the rules of the heart. And there's something even cooler here because he says, Isaiah 29 says, can the potter, can the clay say to the potter, you did not make me? I hope you don't miss this because what Jesus is in this moment is exactly that. Jesus is the potter and the clay, the Pharisees, the humans. We were made, by the way, Genesis 2, when God knelt down and made us out of the clay of the earth. The clay, the Pharisees, are saying to the potter, Jesus, uh, do you know exactly how this thing works? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 by saying, you don't understand what's happening. I am the potter. You are the clay. Do you not understand that I am here to give you a better way of doing things? In fact, this is why Jesus would in the end be executed, is because when he is facing the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, which are the Jewish leaders of the day, and he's in trial, and he is bruised and bloodied in front of them, they, they look at him and say, are you the son of God? And he replies in Greek, ego eimi, which means I am. If you go back to when we talked about Exodus, the name of God is I am who I am. And they rend their clothing and say, do we need any more proof that he claims to be the potter? The alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, do we need any more proof? He would die because they thought he was blasphemy. And Jesus is going, I'm dying because I actually am the potter. Because I actually love my creation. Because I am here for their hearts. Not just an outward purity, but an inward transformation. Anyway, this is how Matthew continues. So right after he quotes Isaiah 29, just those first sections, but I fully believe Jesus intended that whole piece. This is how Jesus describes it in Matthew fifteen, ten through 20. Jesus called the crowd together and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they are blind guides." If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. It's a great bumper sticker. And more relevant than I'd like to admit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you so dull? Jesus asked. Again, Jesus is a little bit uh, more blunt and clear and sometimes harsh than people expect anyway. Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Here in a few weeks when we get past Easter, as we walk all the way to Revelation, we're going to be describing the church and how the church expanded from just Jews to Jews and Gentiles. And this is one of those key places where Jesus telegraphs that that's about to happen. It's about to happen where not just Jews, but Canaanites, Romans, anyone from all over the world is now included in the covenant of God. This this uh, really cool thing where Jesus is expanding, or when you go back to the, to the Genesis 12 and when God made his first covenant with Abraham, this promise that through Israel, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Jesus is telegraphing that actually it's not about the outward purity. Later, it'd be a debate about circumcision. It'd be a debate about whether you can eat bacon or not. It would be a whole series of discussions about outward purity and jesus is laying his stake not on outward purity but on the heart because isn't it the heart that actually makes everything else go our souls what we care for how we care for other people i mean it's like i've been thinking about pharaoh this week and his in exodus when it describes him having a hardened heart and that the prayer that I've been praying is that hardened hearts would be softened because it is from the hardened hearts that, that come evil and malice and war and brutality. And when we come to the place of Jesus and we hear them talk to the Pharisees, I think it requires of us a question of where the places in our hearts that are required to be shaped and changed. Because even as we condemn evil in our world, we must acknowledge. That sometimes there is evil that lurks even within our own hearts. And to pray for those. And to actively root out those places in our lives. So that we can be one of those people. I want to be like Marty Kennedy. Now you don't know Marty Kennedy. Marty was a saint of How United Methodist Church. The church my dad served and that I was at from 7 to 11 years old. I lived in Grayson County, uh, and I loved that church and community. It was kind of, we had a big field behind our house, and it was just awesome. But every Sunday night, we'd go, and we would swim at a woman's house named Marty Candidate. Her husband, Robbie, they were just, you know, there are, there are people in church that never get um, the credit they deserve, but actually make the church go, that actually do the Bible studies and love the people and welcome the people. Marty Candidate was one of those. And recently, um, my parents uh, went to visit her. Her husband Robbie died a little bit ago in she's at a facility, just north of here. And um, my parents went to visit her because she was just I mean, she, was, she had the above-ground swimming pool that I swam at for four summers. She would bring out Werther's Original every single Sunday night, just a plate of five of them. And there's something sacred to me about chlorine and Werther's Originals at this point in my life. There's it actually like when you have a Werther's Original, you're swimming anyway. It's just like that to me is like heaven on earth in a Texas summer. I don't know why. It's weird, except it's Marty. That was what she could offer. And she brought out to the preacher's family five Werther's Originals, one for each of us. And you felt her love and, and her kindness and her joy. And recently when my parents visited her, I asked them how it was. And you know, there are some times for which um, when you get to a particular age or you have an illness where your brain just completely goes. And some of the times they take even your soul and your, your character, not your soul, but your character and your brain can't, can't operate like it is. Many times, however, what old age does and what illness does sometimes what it does is just make us more of who we are. And so one of the warnings of this is you ought to check your heart before you get to the point where it's exacerbated, right? So if you're nasty, I mean, I know some old people for whom, man, it just gets nasty. Er. You know them too. We all know them, sometimes related to them, and it just happens, right? However, there are some people for whom they just exude the kind of heart, the kind of care, and sometimes and when your mind goes that way, it just, it's because of the illness and not anything else. But sometimes, and many times, particularly just for old age, you've got to work on your heart now. It's like there's a guy who's 92 years old who recently gave my friend advice. He goes, so what what advice would you give me for how I can live 92 years old? He goes, work on your balance now because you're going to need it in your 90s and you want 60 years of working on it. I think the same thing's true for your heart, right? You're going to need it when you're 92 to actually, you know, not say some of the things that your grandparents might have said to you. Or maybe they said great things to you, but Marty Candidate was one of those who she, even in the losing of her mind, was careful and kind and generous and loving. And my parents said it was just a reminder to me to work on my heart now so that I become who God needs me to be in the future. We had one of those here at St. Andrew. name was Frankie Comer. Uh, Frankie was uh, just a remarkable woman. Bled all the Bible studies here. She was just... Took me under her wing. There are all sorts of these people that you just never expect and I think the kingdom of heaven is going to celebrate some people we never know because of it. And there's one of those women that actually we find in our next passage who was not a Jew who lived in the place you see behind me. It says leaving that place Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon and the gospel of Mark it gives some more context that the crowds were so heavy that he was inundated there. Like Beyonce showing up in Dallas and there's like, a, like people wanting to get close. I don't know if Jesus' Beyonce is a great analogy, but we're going to go with it. So a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying after us. There are times, by the way, a number of times where the crowds were so big that even they kicked away little kids. And Jesus said, Let even the little children come to me. But Jesus actually says something weird here. He responds not out of compassion in this moment, but rather with his mission, where he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This is one of those passages by the way that most preachers don't preach and I wanna preach even those hard pieces because you're gonna read the Bible and wonder what do you make of it and this is one that is way more powerful and less rude than it first sounds, okay? One of those is the word dog there does not mean every other place that you have dog in scripture besides this and Mark where they tell this precise story is actually a story about mongrels like nasty dogs in the street this is the only place this word occurs in the entire New Testament, and it means beloved lapdog. This is like your your beloved, um, I don't know, I've got a purebred golden retriever at home, and while I don't treat him like I should, like run him as often as I should, it's that kind of image, like beloved family member, but you ought to understand that in Israel, they treated everyone who wasn't a Jew like a dog. They said, well, you don't count. You're not one of the children of Abraham. And so Jesus, in this instant, I don't believe, is ridiculing her, saying, I think you're a dog, but actually testing her and saying, they all say that you don't count, and she pushes back. Great saints of God, I think, push back for the kingdom of God. And it says... Yes, it is, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. What you have here is the question of Jesus' mission of he was sent to Israel. And in fact, next week, we're going to see him turn his face towards Jerusalem We're going to see him walk to die as the Messiah of Israel. But also, as this woman was one of the first fruits of it, the realization that he was also the Lord of the Gentiles, that he was everybody, and she showed that she had a heart of faith. And I believe in our world there are a lot of people who have, of, who have passports and those who don't, of who, have, uh, who live in privileged places and those who don't, of those who have um, easier times. And I, I've felt a little guilt at how easy my life has been this week watching the news. And yet God came for each of them. Because the story of the gospel is that he turned from that conversation where she said, it is right, Lord, that even the dogs get the crumbs from their master's table. And Jesus says, you're right that it is. And he goes and he marches towards the cross. He marches towards the cross where he dies for your sins and mine and the sins of everyone we've ever met, of Russians and Ukrainians, of people in Plano and Frisco and Carrollton, of every single person you know that God gave himself for each of us. And so today we come to this place of scripture realizing that the culmination of Jesus' teaching was going to end up resulting in his death. And yet as he did it, he did it for me and he did it for you. And for us to stand up to a world and say there is good and Jesus is Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I ask for your spirit to come into this place God, I pray for those places that are war torn and difficult right now. I pray for those times when we are worried more about how we are seen and whether we posted the right thing on social media, whether we have signaled our virtue sufficiently when you, O oh Lord, look past it. When you see the insides of our souls, God, would you heal us that we might, as you did, be faithful? no matter what the consequences are. God, we love you, and we trust you, and we ask you to bring our hearts to you. Amen.